I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. I'm still at uh, my wonderful friend's studio, Kate Dowdy. Today, I bring you the first of a mini-series of episodes around relationships, which I have been waiting for for a while, but I couldn't start them without having my guest for today first. So my guest today is Matthew Hussey, who started from a humble beginning, you know, being a life coach on the cafes of London to being the coach of Christina Aguilera, then having half of the corporate world listening to his advice, including uh, Hugo Boss and others. And today he's just talking to us. So, hey, we're doing well. But the thing about Matthew is that in 2013, he had um, a New York Times bestseller called uh, Get the Guy. And uh, from there, uh, he became more and more successful internationally with millions and millions of followers, with events that uh, changed the life of thousands of people at a time. Wonderful human being. In the studio today, we have his wonderful fiancée, Audrey, and uh, my incredible ex-girlfriend and a true, true, true soul partner for me, Shelley. And... uh, Yeah, their presence is to also show you uh, what men do when they're afraid to say something that upsets the people they love. So if you find any awkward silences on my side, that's because I'm trying to (laughs) I'm trying to find the exact words and to make sure that Shelley feels the love that I truly have for her. So with that, I think we're going to uh, dive deep into relationships. You may not always like what you hear at those moments where you actually don't like what you hear, take a note. It might actually be the one thing that you need to change. So, Matthew, you're here. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mo. It's been a while in the making. I am a secretive fan of the type that would, you know, like scream in the events in the background of of your audience. But it's also because you tend to bring a, a very truthful point of view very gently. And I think that's really wonderful. Love and relationships in general, I think, is one of the top three reasons for unhappiness in the world today. Uh, You know, I attempted to write about the topic. I wrote a book called uh, Finding Love six times, believe it or not. And uh, on the sixth version, now 180 pages in, I decided not to publish it once again, right? Which basically is because I found it very, very difficult to pinpoint exactly where things go wrong. You seem to be quite adept with that. So if I were to ask you first at the beginning of our conversation, why is it so difficult? Why is the, is the love and dating world today so difficult? What a big question to start. <laughs> yeah. Well, firstly, Mo, I'm, I'm a huge mutual fan. I told you that as soon as I walked in. I, Audrey, my fiance and soon to be wife, uh, she introduced me to your work and your book. And it, uh, Solve for Happy was a book that was, for me, profoundly important and actually holds one of the great keys to love and finding love, I believe. But it it really it helped both me and Audrey. So I want to thank you for that work. I'm honored. Thank you. Why is it so difficult today? 
I think it's a cocktail of factors. If I start with one that I think you'll immediately latch on to, I think we're so overstimulated mm. that we are, even if you, you know, I, I've been working on a book for the last year that's not done. And I, for the first half of working on that, I really struggled to sit down and write for more than an hour at a time. Yeah, I know the feeling. Really struggled yeah. and, and depressingly so. And I started to recognize that I was so overstimulated uh, and, and I read a book called How to Calm Your Mind by Chris Bailey that, that helped me with this, really understood there's so many ways that I'm overstimulated in my life that sitting down to concentrate on one thing is really hard because as he would put it, my stimulation height was too high. Mm. And to sit with anything, you have to lower your stimulation height. Yeah, the distraction. Yeah, mm. and I think that there's a, there's a parallel there when it comes to love that we are so used to our stimulation height being high that to sit with anything or anyone for long enough to really open up what's amazing about them, what could be amazing about the relationship between you is really hard. Dating apps are, you know, when people talk about social media being like a slot machine, dating apps are too, you know, it's a very stimulating experience to be on there and the the dopamine hits are, are constant so to actually wean yourself off of that and be on a date with someone and be present on that date and to give that date a moment to breathe before you get straight out on the next one it's it's tricky you know people don't not everything that's wonderful about a person or could be wonderful about a person is immediately apparent to us mm. It, you know, even the way we shop on dating apps is a strange experience because we're far pickier there than we actually are in real life. Mm. Most people have had the experience of getting to know someone at work and they didn't start by having a crush on that person, but they got to know them. They realized I'm really comfortable with this person. At some point, someone did something. Maybe there was a goofy moment a silly moment, a playful moment, a teasing moment, and someone that never was quite on their radar in that way, mm. suddenly there was some attraction that was ignited. And that's happened to people with their friends. It's happened to people that you know tangentially in your circle. But what you had with them was some time for things to breathe and to see some different sides of them. Even on a date, you at least f see someone animating Mm. On a dating app, there's no animation. Yeah. And the, you know, it's why I think it's always funny, you know, when friends say, I had the most amazing date last night. And the friend's like, the first thing is like, show me a picture. <laughs> and then the, you look yeah. at a picture and everyone's had the experience of their friend showing a picture of someone they had, who they said was really hot and they had amazing time with. And, and they go, mm-hmm. Mm <laughs> because they don't they don't feel did you like, check your eyesight recently <laughs> right yeah, but yeah. but the truth is they were on the date you weren't yeah so aside from having different taste the big difference is that they were there they saw how that person moved and animated and interacted and what was the idiosyncrasies that make someone attractive that takes being in the room with someone and sometimes it takes a little time and being in the room is something we're not good at these days and taking a little time is not something we're good at these days either because yeah. we're looking for that quick thing. 
uh, that's going to be the answer. So I think that, and then of course the paradox of choice is a problem. 100%. Um, yeah. That's a real problem today. Um, and then I, you know, I think this isn't necessarily a problem of just our time, but it's a problem in general is that we are, we, I don't think we've really decided in our love lives what's most important to us. We, we're going in hoping to be made to feel something by someone. And, and usually the people that make us feel something, they're not always the best people. Mm. We, we fit, we put so much emphasis on feeling, but we can feel the most intensely about the biggest narcissist, about the person that we go on a date with and we go, oh my God, I felt amazing with that person. But, you know, people, certain people know how to give you an amazing date. Yeah, of course. They know how to be extraordinary. They know how to create fireworks. They know how to create maximum feeling. But maximum feeling isn't the same as someone who's going to be an extraordinary partner. Mm. And if we don't actually consciously say, what are the things I most require? What are the things that are the most important to me in a teammate? Then we're always just chasing. Did you call them a teammate? Teammate. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, we'll go back to that. Keep going. I think we're always chasing feelings and, and we can't necessarily, we haven't necessarily been engineered to be able to always trust the feelings we have. Mm. That the, you know, we've all had a childhood that, you know, was probably less than perfect for a lot of us. We've all had early partners that were less than perfect in terms of what they trained us to be receptive mm. to. And so our wiring actually can end up being kind of faulty mm. where we keep chasing things that hurt us and we never, we never actually learn to rewire what we're doing. And that, that I see as a massive problem because then you can't even trust your compass anymore. Yes, people say, you know, just trust your instincts. Your boxing trainer of mine once told me, your instincts will get you killed. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, that actually is a very interesting statement. If, you, yeah. if, if, if in the ring someone throws a punch at you, your instinct is not to block or to, to slip. Your instinct is to blink. <laughs> and blinking is not going to help you when a punch is coming towards yeah. you. In a riptide, your instinct is to swim as hard as you can back to shore, but mm. your instinct can get you killed there because mm. you have to swim out of the current before you swim in again. It's a longer way, mm -hmm. but it's a way that will save your life. Mm. And we have instincts in our dating lives that, that you know, emotionally get us killed mm. every time because we, we think, oh, it feels right. I, must, I should go back. If it hurts this much to leave this person, yeah. I should go back to them. But those two, that's a non sequitur. Yeah. So... So I think that we're also struggling from a lot of wiring that's not our fault, mm. but it's still preventing us from finding love today because we keep going down the wrong paths with the wrong people. That's a lot of yeah, there. I apologize I for the, the <laughs> I, no, I, 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 I attempted to memorize all of them because I think each and every one of those points needs to be addressed. You started from dating apps. And uh, yesterday I was with founder of Muz, the largest Islamic dating app on the planet. And Islamic dating is very different than dating because Islamic dating has one only one target theoretically and the app is designed for that, which is to find a lifetime partner and start a family and so on. So, you know, his, his first comment was Muslims don't date, they marry. So sort of it's an app designed for long-term 
engagements, if you want, for those who are very religious on one side. But he made the same comment that you did, which he said that most dating apps are designed very much like a casino. It's a game more than a utility. So, you know, the way you swipe, uh, you know, the rate at which they show you a potential, a prospect that you would actually like is not every photo. If, you know, if they know that they have 10 that you may be interested in, they're not going to show you the 10 right away. They'll show you one and then three not interesting ones because you get the dopamine hit. If all 10 in a row, then you're, you know, there is no dopamine. It's like, okay, no, not this one, not this one. Oh, this is interesting. Maybe the next one will be interesting too. And then not this one, not this one and so on. And that whole gamification of the apps, um, is in you know in his words and definitely for anyone who these who studied dating apps is commercially oriented they they don't want you to find a partner uh, they want you to stay on the app and you know when i when i was writing finding love i have to admit i did a ton of research on apps just to find an engineering method to master those apps and then eventually when i decided to write about it i said don't be on dating apps they're not the right way to find anyone mm. What, what's your position on it? Here's the problem. I meet so many people who are now married and in relationships because they were on a dating app. Interesting. So I used to, early on, be a little bit more Luddite when it came to dating apps. So I really had my rebellion towards them. But I... I can't deny the fact that there are so many people who have found love that I think would have found love a lot slower or made it would have been a lot harder if they didn't have them. And where, it, where I really have a soft spot for dating apps is if I imagine someone coming out of a divorce, maybe in a later season of their life, they don't have single friends. Mm -hmm. They don't have a very active social life outside of their married friends. Mm. They, it's hard for them to go and just find communities to be in. And even if they found communities to be in, it's not easy to isolate who are the single available people in those communities. It's even harder to find out who are the single available people in those communities that are age appropriate and also want me back. Mm. It's a, that, all of that is a real challenge. There's a lot of layers. Um, and you can spend a lot of time in your life trying to engineer a life that makes finding love possible in an analog way. Very so when someone can be at home after a tiring day of work and understandably not feel like going out and being out there in the world. And I relate to that as an introvert who half the time has You're to be dragged introvert. out of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are. A hundred percent. You little actor, you. You come across <laughs> no, as you know, opposite. Like, I, I enjoy, I love people and I love, I love connecting. I always come away yeah, from a moment. That's an introvert character. Love connecting is very different. Right. Yeah. When I leave, I always, Audrey will tell you this, I always, and I'm so glad I went. <laughs> yeah. But getting me there is not <laughs> easy. So... So I, I really relate to that person who's in that position. If that person can come home after a long day, go on an app and find, I met a woman just the other day. She had, she was in, she's in her sixties now, early in her sixties. She 
had decided she wanted to start dating again after years of being single, after her husband had I, perhaps had passed, I can't remember. But she said, fine, I'll get on one of the apps. Reluctantly, she said this. Now, this is not the norm, but 15 minutes later, the first person she matched with, she's now married to that man and in, in a happy relationship. And for her, it... Apps are magic. For her apps are, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. It's hard to argue with that. But we, much like any other conversation about technology today, we are talking about a tool. And so long as, you know, I said to you before we started, like I've really kind of eliminated so much of my phone addiction because my phone goes in a drawer now. I don't use it regularly. I check it a couple of times a day for messages and I really do see it as a tool. Oh, I needed to come here to talk to you today. I'm going to use it for a map. Mm. But outside of that, I am not on my phone trying to check what's going on or check the latest news or whatever. I'm just not doing it. I don't want to do that to my brain. So I really am using it as a tool. If someone can isolate dating apps as a tool and say, I am just going to use them as a tool, that means I might have a certain time of day where I check it, or it could be a couple of times. But what I'm not going to be doing is just scrolling. I might have intentional moments where I message back and forth with people because I want to connect with someone and actually move the conversation along mm. instead of always being reactive and talking to someone for four weeks and never ending up on a date, which yeah. doesn't serve me. If I can use it as a tool, then it can be a tremendous benefit because if I go, here's a good example. If I go to my local coffee shop every day, and that's like one of my outings is I go to my local coffee shop you probably interact with the same 10 people in that coffee shop every day if you're a regular. Yeah. You wave, hi, whatever. You know the faces. The love of your life could be going to one coffee shop over. Uh-huh. And you never meet them because you happen to live on this street, not on this one. Mm. A dating app, to me, its greatest asset is that you'll meet the, you might meet the person who goes to a different coffee shop than the one you go to. But how do you, how do you find them? How do you... So what a dating app can do is allow you to meet the person who goes to a coffee shop that you don't go to. Yeah. That to me is the major benefit. The enormous downside, if you don't really consciously monitor the way you use it, dating apps and you don't get intentional, is that what starts as a tool becomes a crutch and also a fix, right? Which, an addiction. An addiction, 100%. Yeah, I, I remember addiction. vividly back in 2019, you know, when I started to research dating apps, I just moved to London. I was maybe yeah, interested in dating, but I had this startup that was very demanding and so on. Uh, and, you know, I was doing the early research for finding love. And, at, you know, at the end of the day, I recognized very clearly that I went on dating apps when I was bored. It's like I'm sitting back home after a long working day and it's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like swiping on Instagram and getting interesting videos. You, you simply are just like, oh, she's cute. Oh, why is he here? Simple, huh? And yeah, it's very, very unintentional and very wasteful and almost in my, my, my experience, it's almost 
demoralizing because after a while you go like, this is not working at all and it's just there, I'm just there because I'm bored, right? Yeah, demoralizing is a good word because people burn out yeah. on those things. And it, this is what I mean by when we're not intentional because I had, I had to delete Instagram from my phone because I would realize like I'm 30 minutes into the Discover feed and I didn't even remember going on Instagram. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it'd be like, how did I get here? Yeah. And, and nothing that I just did made me feel good. I'm leaving feeling worse than yeah. when I came. Yeah. And but what, what is intentional on a dating app? What, how do you be intentional? I think it's, if I'm bored, that's not a good reason to go on. If I'm going to actually seek connection and say, you know what, I'm going to figure out who here could I be attracted to feasibly? Not who's the most attractive person on here, but who could I be attracted to? Interesting differentiation, yeah. And let me message them and have an intentional conversation, meaning see if I can have a fun exchange with this person, see if I feel like there's a kind of respect in the way that they message. You know, because you can't find out who a person is through message, but you can certainly find out if they're not respectful or if there's a kind of energy there that you that gives you a warning sign. Um, do I, is there a sense of progression? Because this is a very underrated word in dating in general these days and in dating apps is progression. Mm. Is I literally just had a woman on the street, on the way here, a woman came over and said, I love your work. You know, you're, you're, you've really helped me. Can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She said, I'm seeing this guy. We've only met up twice. He's in another country. We text and we still talk. I think we had the most amazing connection on the date. I don't know if I'm imagining it, but I feel like we did. Is it pointless? And I said, it's not pointless if there's progression mm. but has there been any progression progression can mean many different things progression can mean we've been texting and now we're on the phone together and we actually speak regularly mm. and we're actually hearing our voices or we're facetiming we're actually in each other's lives a little more progression is that this person and i decide that we're going to meet again and make a plan and by the way, that the plan isn't just that I come to them and deliver myself to their doorstep. There's a, some kind of, we both have some skin in the game and we both have to put in a little effort. Progression is if we did that, are we planning on the next time that we're meeting while we're together or are we just seeing what happens again? If it stays the same, then that's a form of closure. People need to start seeing an unevolving story as, as a, closure as in story. itself. Yeah. And what, that's not what happens. People see an unevolving story as a story, with, a story without an ending. And I still am trying to get so to the ending. Spot on. So on dating apps, to me, intention is let me, let me be intentional about looking for stories that evolve. And if I notice that stories aren't evolving, if three weeks later I'm still texting someone who has, shows no signs of asking me on a date, or if I say, let's go meet up. They also are kind of elusive and busy and whatever. Let me start seeing that as closure instead of seeing it as one more open thread in my love life. But, but then, you know, I think these 
this is a sign of I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. They might be again. It's part of the gamification of you know just one more you know draw on the slot machine and maybe that is the one that's going to work, right? And and it's very difficult. And, I, and you can see that fear in so many other ways, like especially my lady friends who are on an app or going dating because they want to start a family, for example. And they are afraid to ask the question, are you interested in starting a family? And you ask her why, and she says, oh, because maybe I'd scare him away. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that the intention, right? Can we, can we progress to finding out if this is on the cards or not, right? So there is that fear constantly, even though the market, in my economic view, is a market of supply because there are so many opportunities out there. People behave like buyers and they, say, they think that this is the only person that they'll ever meet. Yes. Well, you know what's interesting? When I hear what you just described, I hear people being behaving only like sellers. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm always in sell mode, I'm not worried about whether you can give me what I want. I'm just worried about getting you. Interesting. And, and that is a mode that when we're insecure in our love life, when we feel like we don't have options, when we feel like time is running out, when we want a family biologically and our window is closing, we start going into sell mode because we're just like, I just need to try and, and get anyone someone. Anyone take it off the shelf. Yeah. yeah. And buying implies that I go into this with a set of requirements. Mm. And that if those requirements are my, are my filter yeah. for how much I invest, so many people, as you rightly point out, are not doing that. I come. I have the the people that come to me who are thirty five and talk to me about how they want marriage and kids, and they're currently entertaining a charismatic twenty two year old. Okay, maybe you found the one in a however many hundreds of thousands of twenty two year olds who are ready, they're in the same place you are, and they no, don't just think they are right now, mm. but they're gonna stay there yeah. in 10 years. Maybe, or maybe right now this is just a distraction and it's actually taking you away from a path that's really important to you because it feels fun to have something. Here's, the, here's a big one. If for so many of us, we have this bigger goal of what we want but then something comes into our love life, someone. And maybe we haven't had attention in a while. Maybe we're feeling lonely. Maybe we're feeling anxious. And this person presents as distra a distraction, fun, maybe sexy. There's the addictive kind of romance period of it all. And so we settle for the, the drug because the drug just takes us out of our fears for a moment it, take, it, it won't keep us out of our fears the longer we take that drug the more we'll get anxious and we'll worry and we'll realize they're not in the same place we are and now we can't get to sleep at night because we're worried that we have misaligned intentions but we don't know how to bring it up to this person because we're worried if we bring up our intentions they're going to go away it's a kind of user's mindset of like i need my fix and i don't want to give up my fix by saying what i really want because I don't, I, I just can't bear to go back to the painful feelings I'll experience if I lose whatever story I have in my love life right now, because at least it's a story. If I don't have a love story at all going on, 
then, then what do I have? Just myself. So people will settle for a love story instead of what they really want, because at least a love story is something. And, and I, see, I really empathize with that because that's a hard thing to say no to. It takes such strength and knowledge of what you want that to, to have something alluring, attractive, interesting present itself and to still say no because it's actually not the thing that I'm looking for. That's hard. And m my view of seeing endless numbers of people going through this and making decisions based on that is that the only time people tend to actually change and start getting very, very intentional about who they let into their lives is when they have undergone enough pain that f they say, this doesn't work. Yeah. The, 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 to me, the beginning of change is not a, a belief. We, we, we spend so much time, especially in the self-development industry, on, on the power of belief. But for me, when I witness human nature, Belief is actually rarely the impetus for change. Necessity is the impetus for change. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. the Plato said our, our need will be our real creator. Yeah. When, when we get to a place of, I can't stay this way anymore, it's too painful, I keep dating these people that don't give me what I really want, that don't really commit, that don't want what I want. And every time, I come away from it, I get my high, and then I come away from it hating life, hating myself, hating this person, feeling worse than when I came to this relationship. When people have enough of that pain, there's, a, there's often a moment where they realize that the drug is no longer working, and that I can't, eat, I can't settle for any less than the standard that I'm setting for myself for what I really want, and nothing entertaining can distract me from that because it's a it's now a deeper standard that's founded on the knowledge that doing the other thing never works for me i think that's very profound i, I think that in my mathematical mind i think this is the core of where things go wrong because if you say that there are 10 people in your vicinity that you may be able to accept to belong to one of but there are a hundred people that you can choose from every one of those hundred people that you get into that adventure with takes six to eight months of your life, mm -hmm. and we don't have those many years, mm -hmm. right? It's by definition from the texting to the romance, to the high, to the realization, to the breakup, to the mending of your heart, to your getting ready, eight to 18 months sometimes. And, and each of those cycles, if you're in your 30s, basically gives you five of those, right? And from a dice point of view, if you're trying to find 10 in a hundred people, then you need five throws of the dice if you want to be, if you're lucky. And it's, it just becomes very unlikely because you're wasting time and your time is the most interesting thing. And yet, I think most people, I don't know how to say that, are deluded by Hollywood and by their one friend 
that happened to find that thing work, right? Like I used to have a, a person that tells me, oh, but you know, he was a world famous opera singer and she was a new, uh, you know, student of opera and then they got together, but you know, he's like 60 years older than her or whatever the numbers are and look, it is possible. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, how many opera singers, other opera singers do you know that had that experience? It's one and one is not a proof of a trend at all. So how do you change that mindset of even though your best friend ended up being picked up on a white horse somehow in the middle of the Zahara Desert and then got married in a, you know, in a beautiful wedding? Uh, yeah, that's the only time that that has ever happened. And that's not a trend at all. You have to, I think, get to a point where you say, you know, I, I was talking about this in the context of in business, there are certain employees along the way that you it's not been working out with. And I have in the past suffered oh, yeah, trying to figure out like, what am I supposed to do here? Do I let this person go? I, it's not working out. There's a chance that more conversations might make it better. I already had five. But there's a chance that next month is the month where they turn it all around and that I just haven't quite communicated it the right way yet. And I said to, a, to an advisor of mine once, what if I'm wrong and what if this person turns out to be, you know, great? And he said, what if you were speaking to your clients, the, the people that come to you for help in their love lives, what would you say? And I said, I mean, I'd say that the chances of them changing a, a, a one in a hundred and he said to me well here's the view i take matt i'd rather lose the one in a hundred than wait then have the to, 99 the 99 <laughs> yes exactly potentially slow down cause disruption or even chaos in my business yeah i'd rather lose the one and in our love lives i think that's a that's the mindset that we actually have to take on is that you love is hard because love is one of those things that we need a teammate for so we can't on our own guarantee its arrival yeah. in our lives or guarantee it's staying in our lives that's hard that already puts us in a p place that we're not comfortable with which is one we can't control we can control our bodies to a large extent. If we want to go and lose weight, we, can, we know the certain things we can do, the levers we can pull. In our love life, we know all the things we, or well, I, what I coach is all the things you can do to influence the result. But you can't guarantee the result. But I think that we can create inevitability on a much greater level than we ever realize. I agree. And the, the enemy of that inevitability is chasing the one in a hundred result. Correct. Because as you say, you know, if the right person is on, is number 35, and this is speaking crudely, but if they're number 35, and what has to happen is you need to get through the next 34 to get to that 35. If you get stuck on number three, you're screwed. Yeah. And and that's why there has to be, people have to start looking at that in their mind and going, and by the way, I'm, I've got no problem with people changing. This is, this is what I always try to help people understand is that when people say, but, but maybe they'll change, fine. The burden of proof it's is, on them. yeah, like 
If they're changing, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I totally agree. It, it, they're not changing, which is why we're having this conversation. And you're forced to defend this position that they may one day change. If they were changing, everything would be fine. They're not changing. Yeah. And, you know, as my, my friend Dr. Ramani puts it, you know, in, this, in the case of certain people, they're so far from where you need them to be. Yeah, that it takes years of change. If they changed by 1%, it still wouldn't even be close to what you need. And, and there's a lovely way that she puts it, which is that consider how hard it is for you to change anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> consider how hard that is. It is the, the idea that Yumo could suddenly stop being a thoughtful person or a compassionate person. Or grow or, hair. Or grow hair. There you go, right? I, it, it's possible, by the way. If, if I really invest in it, it's possible. But would I, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's the whole point. That when we realize I, every year I want to be in the best shape of my life. But when I think of, when every year it turns out to be way harder than I ever thought. And I really want to. So now you're dealing with someone that probably doesn't even want to. You know what? My crude, very harsh mathematics when you say one in 35, I picture two dice, right? The chances of getting double six is one in 36, okay? And I find that people sometimes throw a four three and they go like, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's just two steps away from the six. And, and three, like, maybe if I just keep pushing the dice a little uh. bit, they will turn and be sixes, right? How often have you ever seen that? It's, it's just, realistically unattainable and you're stuck in that 4-3 getting a 7 instead of a 12 by the way which is almost 60% or 55% of what you need in your life mm -hmm. and you're just hoping that one of the dice will tilt and, and, and you'll get what you're looking for. That what you just said is, is profoundly important because when we're telling ourselves we're, we're close we usually are not close. At all? No. What, what we mean is that we found someone that we really enjoy talking to and let's say we have amazing chemistry with them but it turns out that person is a horrible teammate they are not someone who is kind they're not someone who shares your vision for the future um, they are terrible in arguments they're not think they don't think of you when you're not around or they're not they don't anticipate your needs at all so when someone says oh if they could just be this people have to understand is that if you're missing something that's fundamental to what you need to feel peace within a relationship then you're about as far off as you can be the fact that you have chemistry you know that i always talk about there being four stages of importance in a relationship there's admiration which is literally you know you can know someone and admire them it doesn't mean that they've noticed you. It doesn't mean that there's any attraction. It just means that you from afar feel an attraction for them. Mm. Not important. The second one is mutual attraction. Okay, now you know, you're aware of my existence. I'm attracted to you, you're attracted to me. We call this chemistry, we call this a sense of connection, but a physical attraction. But okay, great. So there's a mutual draw there. It's necessary for a relationship, but this stage is not an important stage in the sense that you still don't have nearly as much as you think you have because the next stage is commitment. 
we have mutual attraction, but we're both Identity. on top of that saying yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very important stage. The number of people that grieve over being in stage two and not having that person, I, I sometimes want to say to people, this is so many tears are wasted on this stage. If, if you had, if you were in love with someone and you had the most amazing relationship and you both were committed to each other and then that person gets hit by a car tomorrow, that's a tragedy. That is worth your tears. Mm. But when you like someone or love someone and you can't be together, apparently, because of them, and you're not with them and you're, I'm not with the love of my life. And, and they're shopping in Target today. They're, they're like, they're going, they're watching a movie. They exist. Yeah. They're on the planet. They're just not choosing you. Yeah. So you don't have that crucial third stage, which is commitment. And then the fourth stage, and this is the one people forget, because when people say, oh, we have commitment, that's the kind of love is all you need mindset, right? As long as we're committed, as long as we say yes, that's all we ever need. But you also need compatibility. Yeah. And compatibility is a much ignored fourth stage of importance, which is why people get into so much trouble, because there are plenty of people who have said yes to each other and then found out that their values are very different. Or seasons. Seasons are very different. Yeah. The way they want to live their lives is very different. And so they're just not, it, it, it doesn't work. And saying yes doesn't make it work. Saying yes is, is that, okay, we're, we're entering into this. But now we find, you know, if your idea of what you want to do with your life is you want to go out clubbing till 5 a.m. every night, my thing is I want us to wake up in the mornings and go and hikes and do this and do that. And because of that, we never see each other and we don't respect each other's way of life. Then we may have said yes, but we're making each other miserable. Yeah. So those four stages are all important. What I try to encourage people to do is stop obsessing. I'm not saying level two isn't a prerequisite for a successful relationship, but stop obsessing over level two. But it's intoxicating. Level two is just, oh my God, like so much joy, so much excitement, so much endorphins, you know, so much fun, so much discovery. And a lot of people will just find themselves in that stage and say, that's it. Yeah, but we don't give like a special significance to heroin. <laughs> yes, we don't. Do you know what I mean? I'll talk to them. It's not like we look, at, we look at certain things, certain addictions or drugs or whatever. We don't look at them and go, oh, if it really hurts that much to give up this drug, maybe you should go back to it. We don't say Such that. That's a good way of saying it. But in love, we give things a kind of transcendent, righteous label of experience where we put them in a special category. And I, I do... Like, yeah, like rare, rare heroin. It's not, it's not just <laughs> yeah, heroin. It's this like, is special. This is, yeah, this is a very... You know, yeah, that dealer, a very only made, the dealer only made four of exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... It's just... To me, and I, I don't mean this quite as literally as it sounds, but it's just another set of chemicals. And it is very intoxicating. It, 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 for sure it is. And my God, it, do I sympathize with... I, I had someone come to me and say, like, nothing has happened in my love life for a long time. And the idea of just waiting around for something to happen, at a certain point, I might as well just enjoy the quick fix because it's all that's coming along. Mm. So... 
who are you to tell me I shouldn't enjoy the quick fix? I kind of understand that. Yeah. What would you say to that? I think you have to be honest with yourself about whether the quick fix is serving you on the level that you really think it is. Because I think there's a lot of lying to ourselves that we yeah. do that, you know, it, if we're not careful, it becomes an excuse to settle and to kind of, it becomes a bit of a cop out because everyone is capable of finding the kind of love that they want. You believe so? I think that, that people have to be willing to say, it doesn't always come in the exact package. Mm. It doesn't always come, you know, like to me, part of growing up is that you, all those things that you thought you needed When, when a woman says, I want him to be six foot two, at a certain point, you start saying, this is ridiculous. Totally. It's not going to make me happy. Totally. But the longer we hold on to all of those things, the longer we keep ourselves unhappy. And, and to me, everyone can find the kind of love that they want. But at a certain point, we have to start asking ourselves to define more carefully what that kind of love actually means because if we hold on to our fantasy idea of every little thing that we were with that we wanted or were trying to get that's what makes people incredibly unhappy yeah. the same is true anywhere in life if you look at people starting businesses one of the struggles for a lot of people starting businesses is they apply the kind of the mindset of the one that yeah. they apply in their love life they apply that to business too Yeah. Like I'm trying, people sometimes say to me, like, Matt, you've, it's so nice for you. You found your calling in life. And I understand what they're saying, but I almost always want to push back when they say that. Because really what I found is a career that exercises my abilities, that I have, I had some raw talent in and nurtured that talent into something that was useful, that I enjoy, that gives me variety. It meets a lot of my criteria. This is not the only path that could have met my criteria. Correct. It could have been several different. It couldn't have been anything, yeah. but it could have been many more things than this one. Yeah. And, but, but when I see people trying to start businesses and they're looking for this idea of like the one in business, what's the business that when I start it, I'm suddenly going to feel mm. like everything just fell into place and it's exactly what I wanted. No, you, you, it's messy and it won't come in exactly in the form that you wanted and it, the business won't be exactly what you anticipated and it, you'll have to do things that you didn't want to do and you'll, that's what it's like. And over time, you sculpt it into something that gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the ideal of the way that you want to work and the way that you want to, what you want to create. And to me, love is, is, no different we we will life will punish us i think if we go into love with this kind of like wide-eyed feeling of this is i i want all of these things if instead we go no 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 what's the kind of partnership i'm looking for and and am i don't get me wrong i'm not saying you could you could be with anybody you can't but does this person are they made of the right stuff Okay, interesting. Maybe something could work. Am I attracted to them? Because I need some attraction. Mm -hmm. Attraction isn't, by the some. way, attraction is not a sport that someone has to win. You know what I mean? It's not the Olympics. <laughs> it's, a, it's a box that needs to be ticked. Is it? Am I attracted to this person? Great. 
that, that I ticked that box. But do you know how many people live for that sport? It's just for crazy sure. when you think but, about it. But we have to suspect ourselves if that's the only sport we seem to be living for. Mm. Because, okay, let's say in a successful relationship, what boxes need to be ticked? Well, okay, one is physical attraction. I even think sexual attraction is more important. Do you feel like there's a sexual chemistry there? The other, let's say another one might be, we feel like we're loyal to each other. Okay, great. That's another box that needs to be ticked. Um, we are compassionate towards each other. We accept each other. All of these are boxes that need to be ticked. When people go out and are constantly playing the sport of, is this the most attraction ever? I want to ask, are you doing that with all the other boxes? Uh-huh. Are you also saying, is this the most compassion I've ever felt? Are you also saying, is this the most loyal I've ever felt someone? Are you also saying this person is the most supportive? Exactly. Because if you're not trying to make someone win the sport of those ones, but you're always trying to make them win the sport of this one, that immediately suggests that you're not actually looking for a genuine, amazing partnership. There's something else going on. It's egoic. It's, Definitely. I want to be seen with someone, a certain kind of person. It's... You know, there's, a, there's a, a shallowness to that. And I think that we pay the price for that. So let, let me try to organize this a little bit. You used the term, the love of my life, several times, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find the love of your life. You're going to find the love of your life. I tend to disagree that there is such a term. The love of my life. The love of my life. As you rightly said, it is often described by terms and conditions that are not really necessary. Six foot two is like, I'm not six foot two. So anyone who has a six foot two on their, uh, on their uh, list should change that. Right. I wouldn't make the cut either. Yeah, honestly. But, but the, idea, the idea, I mean, is that's very shallow, right? Correct. And so that long list of things is also not the answer. So it's not, it's not the love of my life as like the only one in 7.8 billion that will suit me, but it's also not the, the list of 16 or 17 or 29 things that make it become impossible. What you're saying is it is a set of experiences that you're looking for that need to be balanced and work together, okay? But at the same time, you, you're also saying, and you shouldn't compromise on some of them that some of them really, really matter more than others. What does that mean? It means that people who believe that there is one person that can meet what they're looking for are wrong, but that there are 200 people in your neighborhood that can meet what you're looking for, just compromise a little? I think it means that the love of your life isn't found, it's created. Oh, that's so beautiful, <laughs> really is. I, yeah, I truly mean it because I think that of those 200, there might be 200 people in the neighborhood who have genuine kind Attention. of raw materials yeah. to be a great partner, but not all of them are going to go the distance with you, uh, you know, cut that down to 50 or not all of them are going to have the same drive to build something beautiful that you are. Um, it, it kind of is self-fulfilling. The, 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 this is why I have a problem with people looking backwards at what they've lost and going, I lost the one, I lost the love of my life. I always think, and I understand your, your discomfort with the term love of my life, because I, I agree with that. I think it's an oversimplification and it kind of, 
it can be a dangerous one in terms of expectations. But when people, we say, I lost the love of my life, it, to me, it's like well, the, the contradiction is within that sentence. The person that is right for you will choose you. The person that you have an amazing life with, you'll build an amazing life with. You won't, it won't be the person that didn't want you, the person that was almost there. It will, by definition, be the person that becomes that person. So the, the finding the person is a, that should be a thing that you say about the person that you have built something with, not the person you almost built something with, mm. not the person you could have built something but, with. But, but isn't that the, conf the same confusion that leads, leads people to stick around too long? You know, it's like, I need to build that love of my life relationship, so. You need a builder. You, you can't be a solo builder working on the house yeah. and, and the other person is somewhere else. Yeah. You, oh, that's a very interesting definition. You build together. If the, build, if the other builder is AWOL, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's you lying to yourself. Mm. So it's not just that you're valuing the house that gets built at the end of it. You're valuing, above all, the builder who builds it with you. And so that, to me, is the, the big distinction. Um, how much is this person invested in this? How much are they trying with me? How much are we building it together? You don't get to just try on your own and be the person holding everything together and, and say, we have something really special. What happens if you stop putting in the effort for the both of you? Yeah. You quickly find out the project what seven. you really have. Yeah. So, so what you're saying here is that there is a set of criteria that is sort of like a mandatory, like you need to have those to start building. And once you have that, the only measure of a potential loving, lasting relationship is that you're both invested and working on it together. Correct. 100%. And there are certain things that you just can't, certain things, if they're not there, no amount of another quality should supersede them. Just because you feel alive when you're with them and you've never felt this way before should not supersede the fact that this person becomes distant for three weeks when you leave the date or that you never know where you stand or that you, they won't even admit to the fact that you're in a long-term relationship together. Like that, no amount of something exciting should supersede those baseline qualities that are important. If a streaming service or a TV company came to me and offered me the biggest show of my life, all about Matthew Hussey and offered me all the money in the world, none of that would matter. No matter how exciting it might sound, none of that would matter if the format of the show was something that I didn't like. If I thought, oh, this is cheesy or, oh, this is going to make me do things that I don't want to do. You do amazing on Naked Attraction. Would you take that? I would rather do Naked and Afraid naked than, <laughs> than, than Naked Attraction. What's that? Naked and Afraid is where they get dropped in the middle of the forest yeah. and they just have to at survive. Least, at, least, at least you can run somewhere least, and hide, right? <laughs> at least I would have my dignity at the end. Um, what is that, by the way? How can humanity reduce our, I don't mind saying, Naked Attraction is Like seriously, people, what's wrong with humanity? Well, how did we decline so far? Do you know, I, look, I, you're speaking to someone who cannot be brought to watch any of these shows. Yeah. I can't watch five minutes of them because I just, well, for one, I think when you've been 
in TV at all, you know that all all that's happening here is a bunch of producers got together and said, what's the next show that we can get people addicted to? Yeah. You know, that's all it is. And, and usually the contestants of those shows have either got an ulterior motive, like they want to be a singer mm-hmm. <laughs> and being naked and on a show might be a way to raise the profile for being a singer, or they have been manipulated into thinking it's a good idea yeah. for them. And neither one I find a compelling reason to watch, yeah. but, but I think that there's, we've devolved into like weirder and weirder and weirder concepts yeah. because if dating shows have become so insane. Yeah. It's that just you need, the weirder you are, the more... You need another, you need something crazy to trump it. This was before I moved to the States. I was in a production office in London for a major production company. And the show being pitched to me was like, I think it was an early version of The Undateables. There's a show right now called The Undateables, which by the way, just the, the wickedness is in the name yeah. of that show. Yeah. But the earliest version of that show, I think I was pitched to be like a host of. And they said, we're going to get someone who is uh, this and someone who is that and someone who's that. And it, all people that they have decided for some physical reason that as a viewer, we can instantly see are, was like a circus for them. And we're going to see if we can pair them up with each other to find love. And... And they, I remember them trying to sell me on the, how that this show was doing a good thing because what it was doing was it was showing that anyone could find love. And I went, no, 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 that's not why this show's being made. Yeah. This show is not being made with the motive of showing that anyone can find love. It's being made because you know, in the trailers, you're going to be like, imagine if this person could find love or imagine if this person dated this person, how crazy would that be? It, it's you running this circus. And I, I remember I, have such, I had such distaste and disgust for it because I just thought this is, all this is, is how can we create something that degrades people or that makes fun of them or that highlights how ridiculous or awful people can be for your entertainment and call it finding love. And that, that for me is always, I've always had a deep kind of, more of an issue with that than most people seem to have. I, I struggle I mean, I, with it. I think this is perhaps in my view, one of the reasons why love and finding love is becoming so complicated. It's because there are so many views that are shared around the topic, so many choices. You know, you called it the paradox of choice. I don't know if you've read that book, but there was a book called The Paradox of Choice that completely flipped my life upside down. The idea that having hundreds of drinks at Starbucks doesn't make you any happier at all. It's a disaster. It really is. Yeah. And, and so from between the, the, the one extreme of the love of my life, one person in 7.8 billion, to the other extreme of endless choices in terms of endless kinds of people, endless configurations, endless types of love, endless messages that are getting into our heads saying, yeah, you know, this kind of attraction is 
uh, is the way it should be. That kind of attraction is, is the way it should be. And if you end up with someone on an island somewhere and we keep you there long enough, you're, you're bound to find love or scrap all of that madness is also very confusing. I mean, from one side, the adamance that it's only one and that one will show up without me doing anything on a white horse to the other side of, I have to try 14,000 approaches until I find someone. Well, the former actually has you self-destructing on the latter. So if Interesting you, way of looking at if it, you yeah. believe, If you're led to believe that there is one person out there for you, the stakes become impossibly high mm. of trying to find that person and the person that lives up to that idea. And then you present me with all of this choice. It, it's a recipe for disaster because I'm going to be with this person. But I'll go, but, oh, but they, they don't have this thing. And they, oh, maybe they're not the one. And then I switch them out for this one. Oh, maybe they have yeah. more of this, but they yeah. don't have this now. They're, they're, they're not, not six two. No, they're not six foot two. And, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, they don't have enough hair or they don't have enough. What, this, they had, I was Nobody just, says that. <laughs> <laughs> it, we all have those things in our mind. None of us are above vanity. None of us are above egoically wanting certain things. But at a certain point, once you realize the one is something that is arrived at, not started with, then That's very profound. it forces us into a place where we commit to making something great. And that's where we have abdicated responsibility in our love lives, is that in, we're trying to find something great instead of taking responsibility for making something great. And I don't mean trying to make it work with someone who's not nice to you, who's abusive, who's this. No, I mean, finding someone with the right raw materials, and then you commit to making something great together. That, to me, is the thing that, that gets lost in all of this, in the constant search for someone who's, it's very passive. Someone's going to come along and they're going to make me feel. They are going to make me feel everything I've always wanted to. I find that to be the polarity between the feminine and the masculine, right? So the feminine is a state of being where I'm supposed to be, be some in some form or shape. And if I am that way, then the universe and the energy will resonate and everything will happen, right? That's the feminine side. The masculine is all about, I need to do, do, do. I need to go out hunting. I need to swipe. I need to go on multiple dates. I need to explore. I need to, I need to, I need to. And I think neither is right, honestly. There is a bit of each of those in terms of, yes, you have to be a certain way because if you go out hunting for the rest of your life, but you're an asshole, you're never going to find anyone. You need to work on yourself and be a good person first. And if you're the most amazing human on the planet, but you're just being and waiting for the white horse, there are not many of them left in the country that you live in. So probabilities-wise, it's not going to show up. Yes. Well, and that energy that makes you kind of hunt and hunt and hunt is... It's kind of an optimizers in a sense, like an, there's a sense of, especially type A people or whatever, there's a, there's a kind of optimization yeah. brand to that, that you see in a lot of self-development, right? A lot of self-development is about optimizing my life. Yeah. And optimizing only works into, to a point in love. You can optimize your way out of ever finding love, or you can optimize your way out of every relationship by going, oh, this person has these things, but I still feel like I could get these things and this. So you try and optimize for that, but then you realize that what you're dealing with here is not a product that you've just added a feature to, yeah. but another complete human being 
who has deficits that this person didn't. And so you can spend a whole life optimizing in that energy that will preclude you from ever being happy where you are. The, the, I don't know if you read, did you read the book um, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman? Uh, no, I didn't. Lovely know. book. Oliver Berkman's kind of history. About your life. It was about time management. Well, yeah. his background is kind of productivity and time management. But, yeah. but this book is more of a book about life that poses as a book about time management. Mm. But it's uh, 4,000 Weeks is the average length of a human of a life. life yeah. And what he says is the reason that we put too much on our plate is because we're afraid of death, essentially. Correct, yeah. That if we truly got honest with ourselves about how little time we had to live, it would force us to go, what's actually most important for me to do? What books are most important for me to read? Because yeah. I'm not going to read the whole bookshelf. I don't have yeah. time. Yeah. What movies are most important to watch? What work is most important to do? Who's what guests should I have on my podcast? Should I continue this conversation? You're wonderful. So right. yes, <laughs> you can't have them all, you know, so I'm honored. Yeah. Um, either that or you're overloading your plate. One of the two. I know but this is the best. The, that idea really struck me that, oh my God, I'm not, me overwhelming myself is not a, just some sign that I'm a Taipei person who wants to keep doing more and more. It's actually a denial of mm. of mortality it's a denial of how little time we have and so what he says therefore is we have to start making real choices about what we want to do and how who we want to spend our time with because those choices matter but he goes a step further in saying once you get to that point the stakes then feel impossibly high because you're like well if i'm if i'm not going to read a thousand more books if i'm only going to read a hundred more that's oh my God, which thought. books do I read? Absolutely. It suddenly becomes, and what he says is the way you lower the stakes is that you realize that the experience of life that you, that is going to be the best one is the one that you really lean into. And I think of it not in terms of settling for, but settling on. There's a big difference yeah, then, between then those Gilbert's, two things. Uh, synthetic happiness, sort of. It's like, you know, if, if you end up with a piece of art, you start to love it. It, it doesn't matter if, you, if it was exactly what you wanted or not. Mm. You know, if, it, the, his, his experiment was to give participants five pieces of art and say, which one would you like a print of? And people would say, this is my favorite, this is my second favorite. And he would give them the second favorite. And it was the question was, you know, you, you did get the second of five, but you didn't get the first. And how can you really enjoy, you know, yeah. can you create that synthetic happiness if you want? Yes. Yeah. And leaning into the, the piece of art that we got. Yeah. That, that is settling on something and resolving to make it the best thing that you can make it. And that's what he argues is where true happiness comes from. I mean, it's no different to going on vacation. You could go anywhere on vacation. Yeah. It's what's the, best, yeah. What's the yeah. best place to go? The best place to go is the one that you really commit to. Yeah. And, and enjoy when you get there. Exactly. Like it's it, such an interesting view, Matt. My friend is a director in, in Los Angeles and he, he would be invited because of his movies to Cannes. And I said to him, what's Cannes Film Festival actually like? And he said, you always have this feeling you could be in the greatest party ever. And you still have this feeling there might be a better party going on somewhere <laughs> that you're yeah. not invited to. Yeah. And that 
to me is the essence of unhappiness in in love right is that you if you can't train yourself out of that mindset that there is always another party that could be better then yeah. then you're going to be unhappy if you can lean in and go no 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 there's a i'm going to turn this into the best party that i could ever have that to me that's the difference between walking into a room and saying who's here and walking into a room and saying i'm here oh fabulous the mathematics of this however is very complex i always love when you go into the mathematics of things i i i i, I apologize i want you to be you know how like on some tv channels they yeah. have the person doing the talking and then they have the person signing yeah. <laughs> i want you whenever i go on tour yeah. i want you just be a little mo on the side of the stage that is drawing the equations <laughs> of what i'm saying as i'm speaking that wouldn't be necessary all i would need to do is to wait for like every seven or eight minutes and then wave a number for the mathematicians <laughs> i'll say he said 42 and we will all figure it out right you know <laughs> tell me i, I so, don't so, want to so the, ma the, ma the mathematics is very interesting because imagine if it's not just can but if you also know that if you go to monaco there is a whole other set of another par hundred parties that you now it's not the choices is not one in a hundred it's one in ten thousand right because the the varieties if you just keep going becomes endless right and i think what's been happening in our world and uh, you know it's a sensitive topic so you, you can choose not to talk about it is that the type of relationships has also it's not just that you're choosing a person mm -hmm. a teammate as you called it but for which game for which sport Right. And, you know, 60 years ago, the only sport out there was one man, one woman uh, committed, you know, happy. What, what is it called? Uh, holy matrimony for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. That doesn't seem to be the case at all anymore. There are endless forms of engagements. I mean, you go to Gen Z and the primary 75 percent of every Gen Z is more interested in hooking up than they are in having a deep relationship that is long-term and committed. And yeah, life is seasons and it changes and it continues. And might, one day they might choose another style, but just the number, I don't know how to say that diplomatically, but just the number of people in a relationship is, an, is a third layer, mm -hmm. right? So do I want to have one person or one type of person in hookups, or do I want to have two of them? Or are we going to be four of them? Or are we going to be swingers? And, you know, all of those are now, interestingly, on the table for the permutations and for the calculations of how many endless possibilities are in that paradox of choice. That paradox of choice exists in, in every aspect of life, from where we want to live to what we want to do Correct. for work to who our friends are. And, and you're right. My answer to that would be that so much of happiness lies in stepping outside of the mimetic culture of like, what am I being told is good to do or right for me versus what do I actually enjoy based on my kind of DNA? But, but how, do, how do I know that if I haven't tried? Well, and then and to that extent, I don't think it is easy for a 22 year old to know what they want, which is why you shouldn't, if you're serious, date a 22 year old. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that, Something about 22s with you. <laughs> no, but that, I, I believe that because it's, they don't know what they- Absolutely. What, and, they haven't cycled through and, and those I, experiences yet. I, I know 55 yet. year olds who don't. 
I mean, the question really is, how do I know if I don't like Fifty Shades of Grey if I haven't tried Fifty Shades of Grey? And have I tried Vicky Cristina Barcelona? And how have I tried Eat, Pray, Love? And have I tried, you know, there are endless, endless, endless stories yeah. sold to us as a romance. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're sort of like, yeah, I love that steady long-term relationship. But at the same time, I want all of those others at least once in my life. Yes, but I think that we are able to kind of have enough of something to go that was fun but it didn't tea. work yeah or you know it it was oh my god it was so exciting but it left me feeling horrible afterwards or it got old or you know that i think there are certain things you don't you know we don't have to run the experiment on everything to know that it's not right for us. We just have to run That's enough of an key. experiment. That is absolutely the key. It's the experiment. We don't even have to run it at all. We have to have an honest view of it, like someone who's not selling it to us, but telling us really what it was all about, right? Right. And that, the trap that we get into is we we can end up listening to the wrong people. When, Correct. You know, we, we, we or, or, to, or people selling it the wrong way. Selling it the wrong way. You know, look, if you listen to I'm not a I'm not someone who's like some giant proponent of everyone should get married but you know you'll get married or not get married depending on who you listen to mm. if you listen to your 55 year old guy friend who has sworn off of ever getting married and is dating as many people as possible and whatever of course you're not going to get a great advertisement for marriage you know he's defending his position he's defending the position he's taken um, the same is true of your married friends who want to defend the position they've had of being 20 years in a stale marriage, but they're still going and they're like, you should get married. And it, yeah, yeah. you're like, well, yeah, but I don't want to be like you. It's, it's like amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing to be like me. It's really, really, I love it. Yeah. I think that it's worth, it's worth first getting advice from people who you trust. At the very least, you trust that they've found something that's really working for them. Yeah, I, th I, th I think that, again, you know, I'm going to say mathematics. Again. I think, I think that the answer is to remove layers first, right? Is to tell yourself, I'm not in Monaco. I'm not driving in Monaco. I'm not going to take myself there. I'm in Cannes. I'm going to look at the parties in Cannes. And by the way, you know, if the party is in open air, it's one that matches me. And if it's not, then I'm going to not, right? And I call it the seasons, basically, is to tell yourself, it's okay to not know what I want or to have what I want at this season of my life different than others. Yeah. But once you know what you want, that's the only layer you stay in. Yeah, because you know yourself, you get to know yourself well enough. And by the way, the part, you know, it doesn't take you going to too many different countries to realize that the parties aren't that different. They're exactly the same. You know, okay, now I'm on a beach in Thailand and everyone's getting wasted. Okay, now I'm <laughs> at Coachella and everyone's getting wasted. It's still, they're still drinking the same booze. Yeah. They're yeah. still human beings yeah, and one, doing and what once, human beings Once do. everyone's wasted, they don't remember where they are anyway. So. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There, there's not, we can't, you know, that you don't need to run the experiment a thousand times. To, you, in fact, I think that one of the joys of travel is that the more you travel, the more you realize you find the same people everywhere you go. Correct. You know, and, and I don't think you need to try every kind of person in the world to know that to some extent you'll find the same people mm. everywhere you go. And the big point I was going to make is that at a certain point, you, when you're experiencing things, and I think people should experience things. I think people should 
they should try enough to know whether something works or doesn't. A friend of mine, Tanya Rad, a, a radio show host in the US, she said something recently in an interview I did with her that she had listened to a lot of women around her that, you know, she's living in LA, people are dating a lot, a lot of her friends are hooking up a lot, and she was kind of being told, like, you know, do what men do, go sow your oats, go do your thing. Like, if if men do it, you can do it. You should do it. You sh and she kept going out there and realizing that when she slept with someone outside of the context of a relationship, and by the way, I have no, I, I, I'm not puritanical about that. I don't care mm. whether someone sleep, it, as long as you're safe and don't put yourself in a situation that could harm you. If you want to sleep with someone in five minutes, go for it. It doesn't, I don't have a dog in that fight. Mm -hmm. But for her, she realized, I feel horrible mm. every time I do this. Mm. I'm around people who keep telling me like, this is fun. We're in our twenties. We're sleeping around. We're doing this. For her, it wasn't fun. She mm. was doing it. She, was, she wasn't righteously saying, I'll never do that. She was trying it mm. and it wasn't working for her. It, it, it didn't feel good. And tuning into that part of ourselves, I think, is the most important thing we can do. Because for her, she then said, well, you know what, I'm going to have a com commitment in my love life to say, unless it's actually in the context of a relationship, I don't want to go there with someone. Yeah, people are different. People are different, but you, you have to connect with what actually makes you happy. It, you know, if I just connect with, with everyone in Los Angeles who's building giant businesses, I would think that the way to happiness is to build the biggest business possible. Yeah. And... I don't think that's going to make me happy. I don't think that's where happiness lies for me. It's never, it hasn't lied there for me so far. Yeah. Every time I get to a new level, it doesn't change how happy I am. So, yeah. so paying attention to that, and that, that does require some self-trust. And I think that's what a lot of people don't have in their lives, is, is trusting what feels good for me instead of blindly following what someone else has laid out as a formula for a happy life, whether it's marriage or whether it's staying single forever or whether it's being in an open relationship or you, you, you know, it's know thyself. What's actually right for you? I, again, this is very profound. I think the, the real key to finding love in, in my personal view is self-love, is to, is to be able to tell yourself, look, everything that's advertised to me is going to go through the filter of where am I in life? What have I tried before? What do I stand for? Does this sit well with me? Is it something I would like to try or is it something I know for a fact I won't like, right? You know, and, and, and basically before you, because I think the way you described it is fantastic. Everyone will advertise to you what makes them feel good about themselves, right? I am doing this and I am not very sure if this is the best path for me. The more I collect people that belong to that same tribe, the more I feel reassured that I'm doing the right thing, right? So her friends that are telling her, you know, do this or that are basically saying, if you, our wisest friend, belong to that as well, then that means we're wise, mm. right? And I think the game I found in life is to be able, and, and it works both ways, by the way. So I'm, I am, for example, someone who, who was married for 27 years, had a very long you know, uh, relationship, raised a couple of kids, and in a different stage of my life now where, honestly, this matters to me very, very much. And accordingly, I sometimes question if love is on top of my priority mm -hmm. list at all. 
okay? If I can afford to put in the investment that you're talking about to be able to actually create that bond and that investment and so on. And even, you know, Shelly, for example, if you don't mind me saying, is a wonderful, wonderful soul partner where we have so much going for us, but we're in different seasons, right? And, and I'm just traveling constantly and doing things constantly. And, you know, there is a point where you tell yourself, even though everyone will tell you this is the right path, I found that there was a time in my life where what I'm doing is the right path and my what I'm doing might not be the best setup for that, right? Mm -hmm. It's that moment where you sit down, I believe, and say to yourself, look, there are 14 million possible varieties out there being advised, you know, uh, advertised to me, but I am one of those two and I will not listen to any of the others. And then I will invest my time looking for a partner, or, or, you know, that that is part of those two. And can I ask you what your view is on honesty and vulnerability? Because, you know, again, as I told you, one of the things that really, really got on my nerves is how someone who, for example, wants to start a family would not tell their potential partner, are you interested in kids until eight months later? So how does that work? When is the right time to be super honest? I think when it comes to big intentions like that, and some of it is age dependent, you know, if you're if you're a younger person and you have plenty of time and that's something you one day see on the horizon, but you don't, it's not something that's like immediate for you now, then it's not something that has to come up right soon. Now. Yeah. If you're in a place in your life where you're 35, you really want to have a family, you're already naturally, you, you have a sense of fear or anxiety or at least caution that I don't have all the years in the world. Like right now, I, I, have, a, I have a window. Yeah. By the time I've met someone, got to know them. Yeah, started the process. Yeah. It's already going to be some time before we get to that place. And I have to hope that by the time I get there, I will be in a place where I can do that biologically. So once you're honest with yourself about that, that's the key thing is to start by being honest with yourself and how important something is to you. Then your primary concern is no longer whether you scare someone away. It's, it's making sure you spend time with people who actually represent real potential. So from that place, I think you can go on, you can, as early as, the first few dates, honestly, there's a way, there's knowing what you want to communicate and then there's competence communicating it. Correct. If you're on a first date and you say to someone, you know, so when are you looking to have kids? Of course you're going to frighten them. Even if yeah. they want kids, you're going to frighten them. Yeah. That interview style doesn't Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, it's immediate pressure in the wrong way. And it also suggests that you don't necessarily have high standards because you're just looking for a, a target for that goal, yeah, exactly. not someone so, who has so, to live up to yeah, it. So it's like, you, you know, get into the date, you get your checklist on the table and you go like, so do you want to have kids? Tick. Can you have kids? Tick. Correct. And that communicates the wrong message. Yeah. But if, you know, that friend of mine I was talking about, Tanya, she had a, she said she would always end up talking about her career a little bit because she'd done a lot in her life. And so when she started talking about her career, that would be a segue into her wider intentions. Mm. So, so she would say, 
you know, I'm, I've had a wonderful career and I've been able to do some amazing things. And it's allowed me to be in this stage of my life now where other things get to be more important. You know, I'm really excited about meeting someone, having a family, you know, having kids is something that is, it excites me greatly. I see my friends in that place in their lives and I can't wait for that in my own life. She wouldn't be directing any of that at you to that person. Yeah. It would be about her. Yeah. Whether he ended up being able to be a part of that or not was not a conversation for that moment. But the message was clear. This is where I'm going in my life. Mm. If you're not going there too, this is probably a waste of time. But she wasn't saying that. She was just expressing excitement about something that was genuinely exciting to her. Most people, when they're being honest in that way, don't express excitement, they express fear. And that fear is what scares someone away. So mm. it's, a, it's a change in the way that we deliver things. I had two women on my event once who both had been out the night before. Mm. And they both came in, they were both single mothers, but, but here's what was interesting. One woman said, Matt, how do I bring up where I was out last night, I was talking to people. I don't know how and when to bring up the fact that I have kids. And she really talked about it as a heavy thing. Like she had like Darth Vader waiting at home. <laughs> and this other woman had been talking to someone the night before. Her question wasn't about her kids. She just wanted to tell a story. She just said, so last night I'm talking to a guy and I want to tell you, Matt, like what happened. I, the way I started talking to him was he had a chin dimple and I said, your chin dimple is, is really cute. Like it's not as cute as my daughter's chin di cheek dimples, uh, but it's you cute. Go. Yeah. And she said, what do you think? I thought that was a fun flirtatious line. I was like, absolutely was. And here's the difference. I have one person going, how do I bring up that I have kids? Like mm -hmm. carrying this weight, this baggage. And another woman has somehow communicated that she has a daughter at home in the same line as she's flirting with, as she's using to flirt. Mm -hmm. So honesty is, it is rarely the biggest factor. It's how we deliver the message. Yeah. Do we deliver it lightly from a place of positivity or excitement? Exactly. Yeah. Or do we deliver it from a place of like, we're squinting because we're like, oh, I know when I say this. He's going to run away. Yeah, that, yeah. The moment you do that, people can smell that fear and they go, where is that coming from? Yeah. Why are you so afraid? Is it because you've you're desperately searching and that makes me feel like I'm vulnerable because if you're desperately searching, then maybe I can't trust you. Yeah. And it, it, all of that comes into play with that fear that we communicate. So starts with getting honest with ourselves, getting comfortable with our own whatever, wherever we're going in life and then communicating that with ease because it's not about them, it's about you. I want to talk to you for another four and a half hours, but I think, uh, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think we've had a lot for people to think about. Top tip, top tip to a happy relationship in your mind. Hmm. Well, I want to ask you that because I, you were married a long time. So I want your answer to that. I have an answer. Can I, well, can I hear you? No, 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 oh, no. I have no, to go no, first. No, yeah. I think that we, uh, we all have the blind spot of, of trying to love someone in the way that we hope that they would love us. And that backfires a lot because that may not be what they need the most. Correct. That's such an interesting tip. 
I think we have to learn to love someone the way that they need to be loved and Aww. figure out whatever is love to them. Love, by the way, to them. You know, some of the moments that I think are really gorgeous in my relationship with Audrey is when Audrey is like, hey, do you want me to, this is going to sound funny, but it's, I take it as such an act of love and generosity. There'll be, Audrey knows I like, I, I'm more quiet than she is. And she knows that there are moments where we're apart and we joke because she's like, do you miss me? And I'm like, I'm kind of enjoying tonight. I'm like <laughs> on my own and it's kind of nice. And, but we spend so much time together that she knows it's not, there's no offense taken when I say it. We just laugh and I, I wind her up about it. But occasionally she'll be like, do you want me to see a friend tonight? Because I feel like it might be nice for you to have some, some time to yourself. That's not her doing what loving me the way she wants to be loved. That's her loving me in a way that she's anticipating I might want to be loved right now. So, and, and I have my version of that with her. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing is when we can do that. It really requires us to get out of ourselves and to not give what's easy for us to give because it comes naturally, but to give what perhaps is less natural for us to give, but is going to make the other person happy. That's, that's probably a top tip in my view, because the way, the way my marriage lasted long and the way I, at least I, I know it's not the same way in the Middle East anymore, but in the Middle East, when you go and visit someone, it's almost always expected that you'll take a gift, right? When they come visit you, they don't bring the same gift back. They bring back a different gift. Right. So you may go visit someone and you'll take with you a beautiful plant and they'll come back with a box of chocolates. Right. They love plants. You're into sugar. Right. W whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. But the, the beauty of that relationship is that you thought deeply about what they needed or what they would enjoy and you got them that. And in a very interesting way of the relationships that I have found worked, it was mostly about a little different than the Western way of how can I get what I need from this relationship it was always about how can I give what he or she needs in this relationship, expecting by definition that if I gave that, they'll search for and give me back what I need, or maybe we will talk about it, right? The challenge with that I found in most modern relationships is the fear of I'll spoil them. If I give them what they need and we haven't spoken about who's going to fulfill my needs, am I going to be disappointed? Am I going to be the giver and they're the taker and nothing is, is given back? How do you fix that? That requires us to be brave enough to actually ask for what we want. And that is a real problem for so many of us. Yeah. Is that we are ashamed of our own needs. We don't feel worthy of our needs being met. We feel intensely uncomfortable, actually. We'll complain when they're not met, but we often feel intensely uncomfortable when they to are ask, met. Yeah. Oh, yes, to receive them. I've had conversations with people in my life about something that I'm not getting and that has made me intensely resentful over time. And I've bottled it up, bottled it up, bottled it up. And I, and I just, it's really affecting the relationship. It's put, I'm putting distance between us now. And at a certain point I go, I have to speak up. I have to speak up about my resentment in this relationship about what I'm not getting that I need. And then finally I speak up. And five minutes after speaking up, after my kind of righteous anger has subsided, I instantly feel guilty. Mm. I feel like I might have asked too much. 
I feel like I might have pushed that person away, or I feel like maybe they're not going to like me as much now, or I feel, or God forbid, they actually do the thing I'm asking. Yeah, and now I, and then I feel guilty that they've done it, or I feel like, oh, you know, because the truth is, for many of us, especially the people pleasers among us, especially the 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 people that have learned to tend to other people's needs and not their own, the hard part is that we are more comfortable in the role of the complainer than we are in the role of the receiver. Mm. There's a safety in being the one who's complaining about not getting enough in the relationship. Yeah. Oh, I'm so hard done by, they never do this, they never do that, whatever. That's a safe role to play, if, especially if we've been playing it our whole lives. Yeah. And we probably get some significance from that. Yeah. But martyring ourselves in the relationship. Yeah. I do so much. But to be an equal requires us to be comfortable playing a different role. Yeah. And if we're not used to that role and that doesn't represent safety to us, the irony is that a, a more abject situation can represent safety more than yeah. being in a place of equals represents safety because we don't know if we can hold on to that or we don't know if we can play at that level or we don't know if we're worthy of it. We've never had it before. How do I, maybe I don't deserve it. That represents incredible insecurity. And so we have to, first step back and say, if I'm really worried about spoiling this person, that's not me worrying that, that I'm spoiling them. It's me worrying that I am not going to be brave enough to, ask for to stand up for what I really need. And it's not them I don't trust, it's me. So, so spot on, I believe. I mean, in a, in a very interesting way, I think it all goes back to the way you communicate, right? So it all goes back to the way you also love yourself and believe and feel that what you're asking for is fair and that you deserve it. My tip? Please. Yeah, my tip is that love and romance goes through waves and seasons again. So if you're with the, one someone that you love, there's always that honeymoon period and the excitement and there is always the... Like Esther Perel says, you know, there is the desire for adventure and the desire for stability. I believe that recognizing those two is very important. And when you get into a stage where this, where stability matters, I found that what really works is, um, is a project, project outside of the relationship that both feel passionately about something like, uh, we're both interested in helping children in Africa, or we're both in interested in raising our own children, or we're both interested in this little cafe that we started together. I found that when people in relationships have the, that third objective, that is not just the relationship, that they, uh, they get into a stable relationship that is motivated with a purpose that's a little more than just keeping the relationship alive. And I found in my experience that when that objective dies out, unless you start another startup, sometimes you start to struggle a little bit. So, and the objective has to be one that's collective. Absolutely. And one that, that is not sort of created for the purpose of it, but sort of like both sides are passionate about it. I think this is the reason why most arranged marriages with children will last very long because the objective is bigger than the relationship itself. Mm. So what the one that taught me this was uh, Lynn Twist, if you know her, one of the you know most renowned fundraisers for charity in history. She married for 55 years when, when I hosted her here on, on Slow Mo. And I asked her and I said, Lynn, what, what makes you 
last 55 years in a, in a, in a loving, happy marriage? And she said, because we both are interested in something bigger than our relationship. So when, when we are talking about, you know, children in Africa needing something and we both so passionately believe that we can make a difference, keeping the toilet seat up or down doesn't become such a big problem anymore. I found that quite profound, actually. It doesn't have to be something as big as that, but it could be something as simple as, hey, we're going together to that vacation in summer and we're so passionate about making it amazing and it's our project for the next six months to make that thing amazing. But it's that idea of being able to collectively work on something that both sides are passionate about. That's, you know, it's my podcast. I'm not supposed to be the one talking. So I lo- No, I think it's profound and it's important and it, it, it really... So there's something really, really fascinating about that because it's almost, for me, when I picture it, I'm like, if you spend all of your time staring at each other. Eventually, there is not much more to stare right, at. Right, but if you're both pointed at something, yeah. staring at that together. Yeah, and hold, holding hands. Sa- too. Side by yeah. side, yeah. yeah. Very beautiful. Very beautiful. I love that advice. I love every advice I'm, you gave, honestly. I mean, you're, you're so chill and cool about it. And, uh, and it's so profound in so many ways. I think the undertones of how you describe getting to know yourself, really accepting yourself and then looking out in the world, not at, at this as a, a roulette, but rather than a, a, like a, a deliberate act to make love stories not receive them or not find them or not stumble on them. I think that's a very profound way of looking at it. You're a good man and I love you dearly. Audrey, thank you so much for being here. So you captured, I'm working on a book right now and you, you actually captured the essence of the book before anyone else has. So good. I, it's actually beautiful to hear, to hear it repeated back in that way. But thank yeah. you for having me, Mo. You're the really. best man. Thank you so Such much for pleasure. being here. Yeah, and for all of you joining us, I loved this so much. And I, I knew someday Matthew and I will meet, but uh, because you guys listened to the podcast, we met earlier and closer. And I'm uh, absolutely certain that we'll be meeting very, very frequently. Wonderful human being, wonderful mission, wonderful insight into it. Very humble, but very effective. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you enjoyed that we let it uh, go a little longer than we normally do, because I think it's a topic that is worthy of slowing down. Either way, whatever you're doing this week, uh, find yourself an hour, don't lie to yourself. There's always an opportunity uh, and a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.